trigger warning. This episode contains adult content and may be distressing for some listeners. Pride Across the Ages is a collaborative project to amplify and celebrate the voices of LGBTIQA living in central Victoria. All episodes were recorded on Jar Jar land and respectfully recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Phoenix and my pronouns are she, her. I was born in East Melbourne in Victoria and I believe I am an elder millennial so I was born in 1989 so I just hit the cusp of that thank goodness and I identify as lesbian. I am a very proud part of the LGBTIQA plus acronym. Childhood for me was definitely a bit of an adventure if you want to put it that way. It wasn't easy by any means. I actually grew up in foster care. I became a ward of the state at the age of six months. Yeah, and I became a ward of the state permanently until I was 18 years old. I was lucky enough to get permanent placement at four, but before then I kind of bounced around a little bit. I guess for me, that spending my childhood in the foster care system and also in a very small, pretty traditional country town was a huge part of the way that I grew up because it did dictate how long it took me to come out as part of the LGBTIQA plus communities. So I didn't for a very long time. I knew that I was at very least, and I say at very least because I didn't know any different then, at very least bisexual at 10 and realised at 27 that I was actually a lesbian. So I <laughs> came out again only 12 months after the first time to my family. So that was a bit of an interesting adventure for them. They were never really quite sure how to approach that, I guess. It was a difficult subject to come up with, uh, to talk about with my family. And they have been pretty good most of the time. Uh, some of the time they're not so good. I still get some silly questions, things like, why do we have pride? For my family, the relationship between us hasn't been easy by any stretch of the imagination. I have three families, so I have my dad and my stepmom, my mom and my stepdad, and my foster parents, who were my foster parents pretty much my entire childhood, so I lived with them from four till 19. There was an Asperger's diagnosis in the middle there, like at about 15. That did complicate things a lot in that It meant that I had to do year 12 over two years at high school. So I had to watch the year level that I went through school with leave and join the year level below me. So that was definitely challenging in a lot of ways, especially being a young person who knew I was queer on some level at a Catholic high school. So it was definitely not something that I was comfortable with sharing at that point in my life. This was stall. So this is in the Wimra, just at the base of the Grampians there. It's very mining and 
farming focused. They're very traditional and very, I guess at that point, not open to to things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that a lot of the work that I've done since then has opened that up just a little bit because we did take the LGBTIQA plus, as it was known then, just LGBTI roadshow to stall to try and change that a little bit. Seems to have had some impact. I do know that they raised the rainbow flag for Ida Hobbit this year, so I have to say I was pretty proud of that. But it wasn't like that when I was growing up there. It was something that I waited until I moved away from stall to have happen, I guess, for me. And at that stage, I was 26 years old. About 16, 17 years, I I probably hid who I was and um, tried to toe the line, as it were, and be what people expected me to be for someone who grew up in my experience with my disability and cerebral palsy and navigating all of that and also trying to do all the things that a traditional country girl would do, I guess, Um, a lot of which I couldn't really because of the physical limitations, but things like debutante balls and all that kind of thing. So I just tried to toe that traditional line as much as possible and it took a bit of a catalyst for me to realise that it was time for me to not do that anymore. I was in an abusive uh, heterosexual relationship for about six years. He was was abusive pretty much right from the get-go, um, but at that stage I just thought it was normal because I dealt with that in not only from my mother, my birth mother, but also from my foster family as well. So I dealt with that from both sides there, so I just thought that was normal. So it was something that I kind of sat with and then... When I'd been with him for about five years, my uncle got diagnosed with cancer, uh, my foster uncle, and he and I were pretty close. January of that year, he passed away, and I had tonsillitis at the time, so I couldn't go to the funeral or anything like that. Plus, my ex-partner's family at the time made me go to his sister's 21st instead of to my uncle's funeral, because apparently... He wasn't going to know if I was there or not anyway. It was a bit of a catalyst for me in the end because he was only 56 or close to that age. And I just knew that I couldn't keep living life the way that I was. So I decided to make the jump and change it. And luckily for me, I had the resources to do that at the time because my sister was a support to me at the time and said, you know what, tell him you're coming up to help me with the kids. She lived in Ballarat. I was in Geelong at the time. And I told him that and I got on the bus that night and I never went back. And then I hit the Ballarat scene like a bit of a tornado, I'm told, and basically just did everything rainbow that I possibly could at the time and decided that it would be a good idea if I I started a service with some friends for our community, which came known as Ballarat Pride Hub Incorporated. Just really got in there and really did everything that I could to improve life for our community and regional centres and from what I've seen since then and what I've been part of I think it worked to us to a point and we've still got a little bit of work to do but um it's definitely been something that I've been really proud of. Pride Hub eventually was able to be wound down because I guess there was a few people that were picking up the baton and running with it so we didn't have to have as big a presence and at that time I'd also been offered paid employment doing what I was doing for Pride Hub so it did seem like a pretty good time to wind it down and and, uh, let things go as they were so it was actually really rewarding to do that for the time that I did do it though even though it was pretty tiring there was a lot involved but it uh, taught me a lot and I'm really grateful 
for the time that I had doing that. It's been something that's really dictated the career path that I've taken and I was able to do that and kind of work in an official capacity and I'm still doing that now in slightly different areas because I I am embracing a few more of my lived experience areas in the foster care and disability sense. It's just been something that's been really rewarding for me I think because you know I, I know that I'm not the only one who's been through hardships And, you know, I want to be able to improve things for the people who are going through those hardships now because I'm very lucky in that I don't go through those hardships anymore as much. People think that I do every day. And in a sense, maybe I do. Like uh, my, my CP comes with its fair share of pain and things like that. But in the big scheme of things, I'm very, very lucky for how my life's turned out. And um, it's just been something that I've been really proud of, the life that I've been able to build for myself in spite of it all. Currently I'm working for Rights Information and Advocacy Centre in Bendigo um, and also as part of Adopt Change, which was the charity started by Deborah Lee Furness and her husband Hugh Jackman for adoptees and children in foster care. So both of those jobs are something that I'm really passionate about. REAC uh, works with people with disabilities and advocates for them in situations where they might need it and they might not have someone who's able to do that for them. So anything from Centrelink to having trouble with services or needing to get on the DSP and struggling with that, anything really that you can think of that involves the disability community, REAC does it. So we've been pretty busy lately because it's nearly International Day of People with Disabilities. So we'll be out and about in the Bendigo and Mildura areas for that. And yeah, it's, a, it's, it's just something that I'm really excited about. And right now, Adopt Change is also in the middle of the Yes Vember campaign, which is seeing us working towards at least another 4,000 homes around Australia for kids in the system right now, of which there are 46,000. We'd really like to be able to see some more permanent situations for those children because our system isn't ideal and it hasn't been ideal for a very long time. It's been 31 years since I was in the system myself and there hasn't been a whole bunch of change since then. Well, since I came into the system anyway. Adopt Change is working towards that and I'm really privileged to be able to help them with that. As much as I love my, my LGBTIQA plus side of things, it's been really good to be able to touch on a few other areas of lived experience and get some different perspectives, I guess. A lot of the kids are in foster care in the first place due to situations that they have no control over and I think that's something that people forget about you know uh, there's a lot of stereotypes when the foster care system comes into play all those kids are delinquents and they're they're all they're all from drug addicts and there's all these horrible things that people will say when it comes to foster care but I think in terms of the LGBTIQA plus community and foster care there's been so many more options for us to have children of our own and and to build those families but at the end of the day I think we make the most effective foster parents in that we actually want the kids and we, we want to help them and we want them to be safe and cared for and, and loved because even as a foster parent, you do love those children. And yes, it's hard to do the reunification part of that when it comes to passing them back to their families and things. But at the end of the day, that's the ultimate goal. If we can get a good outcome for those kids and 
and have them in a safe and secure place in the meantime, I don't see that as any problem at all when it comes to the foster care system. I want to do it myself. Um, Right now it's pretty off limits to me because I have a physical disability and it's not something that they like to look for in a foster parent unfortunately. Um, And also the fact that I've been in the foster care system is against me also. I I disagree with that, obviously, but yeah, it's just another one of the stereotypes that comes along with the system, I guess. They think that foster kids are going to end up with their children in foster care as well. And, And look, there's some evidence behind that, but it's obviously very stereotypical, very generalized. Unfortunately, at the moment, the system's not geared towards ensuring that that doesn't happen. That comes with a certain amount of fear for me, having my own child because of that stigma that's attached. And I'm very aware of that. So they've said that that will work in my favor, but there's still, yeah, there's still a lot of fear there. But yeah, obviously I want to pay it forward. I'm one of those foster kids that's come out of the system and has been like, I just want to take them all home and, and give them all somewhere to live and give them all a safe place. But unfortunately there isn't anybody in the world that can house 46,000 children on their own. So. <laughs> As much as I'd love to, that's not going to happen. (laughs) Yeah, intersectionality is a fun little word, um, but it does get thrown around a little bit these days, unfortunately. (laughs) That wasn't the goal of Women's Health Grampians when they were using it. They were trying to educate people on exactly what that was but there's a lot of people who still don't know what it is that like to throw it around as the buzzword and that's where that comes in however my intersectionality in itself is my identity and people don't realize that there's different layers of discrimination for people and when you're part of more than one minority community which I am I'm actually part of four so there's my disability community there's my LGBTIQA plus community there's my care leaver community and there is the fact that I'm a woman as well on top of that (laughs) people will say oh being a woman's not a minority but at the end of the day It kind of is. For me, that just plays such a big role in the many facets of who I am and how people view me on a day-to-day basis. It can come with a lot of negativity, unfortunately. The fact that I am neurodivergent in the sense that I am actually diagnosed borderline personality disorder. People will say that that doesn't fit into the neurodivergent spectrum, but there's also an Asperger's diagnosis in there as well. They kind of have a funny little intersection in themselves in that they both present very similarly to each other. So it's very hard to tell the difference between the two unless you know. That for me is probably another intersection definitely because I am someone who has trouble doing nothing. I struggle with that quite a lot. I I can't sit and do nothing, but my brain doesn't like me some days. I will have days where I can be a million miles an hour all the time, and then I will have days where I can't because I either haven't slept the night before because I was wide awake because my brain was going a million miles an hour, or my body isn't working with me because of my CP. So it's definitely made it an interesting existence for me, that's for sure. And it makes it an interesting existence for other people as well. I get some interesting people out on the streets every day just simply by existing. I think it confuses people. You can almost see it on their faces sometimes that they're confused. They're kind of like, what? Like, who is this? Sometimes I'm not sure if they're trying to work out whether I'm male or female or whether I should be out and about on my own. It's really it's really hard to tell exactly which part of me they're struggling with at the time, but um, you definitely get some interesting ones. That's for sure. 
I get people offering to pray for me on the streets. I remember one particular incident during the Yes campaign. For anyone who knew me during that time, I was always in my rainbow because I was still technically a baby gay. Rainbow was everything. (laughs) Not so much now, but it was then. I was in all my rainbow gear and had my Yes badges on. And I was walking out of the Pride Hub office and this girl stopped me and she said, do you mind if I pray for you? And I was like, hmm, I wonder which part of me she's praying for. Is she praying for the gay or is she praying for the disabled? I did initially work out that it was for the disabled because after she was finished praying, she'd asked my permission to touch me, thank goodness, because she put my she put her hand on my shoulder to pray for me. And um, she said, do you feel anything? As if I was miraculously supposed to be walking again, which, you know, maybe I could have been. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not one to tell people that, the things they can believe in. And my sister always said to me at the time, she was like, why do you put up with that kind of thing? And I'm like, because I have no right to tell people what they want to believe. And that's something that I've taken with me in everything that I've done. When I was leading the Yes campaign in Ballarat, we had some quite negative no campaigners around the the region, as you did. And a couple of guys who thought they were helping us out went and stole all the no campaign signs because they were just down the road from where we were. And they came up to us and they said, did you tell them to do that? And I said, absolutely not. I would never, ever tell anyone to do anything like that. And I'm really sorry. And I apologized. And the leader of the no campaign said, maybe we could have a coffee and have a chat. And I was like, um, okay, sure. Like, that's, that's fine. We can have a coffee. I'm going to bring someone with me because I had my doubts, but (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Um, but yeah, I'll come and have coffee with you and we'll sit down. I was always very accommodating and very open to them and very aware of what I needed to do to keep myself safe in that situation, but also never held that against them that they were not on my side. And I I thought maybe if I sat down for coffee with them that they would understand and they would have a real idea that I was just a normal person. So I've never been one to tell people what to believe in, but yes, you do get some very interesting things from from the local community i've been congratulated for buying my own milk <laughs> and i've also been congratulated for being out past 5 30 like going to a club on a saturday night or something like that i would often get congratulated for that because they thought it was amazing that i was out and about i always found it funny how my disability took preference over everything else that I, w- that I was. I guess it's probably the most obvious part of me, really, because no one wants to be seen to be making assumptions these days. And because my disability is obvious, that's the one part of me that people seem to notice the most. It's definitely made for some interesting experiences, that's for sure. definitely been in some distressing relationships and you know love in itself has probably been a little bit harder to come by but it's it's definitely been something that's been in my life for sure especially since I came out um I've been very lucky 
since I came out. I've had some really good people in my life. And yes, you know, think, things hurt when, when they end. And But at the end of the day, I, I know that I was very lucky for what I had at the time. And I'll, I'll never regret that in any sense of the word. I might regret sometimes how my actions led to things, but love's definitely been a part of it. And hopefully <laughs> there's, um, there's a new one at the moment. So that's been nice. Yeah, and it's just been nice to try to rediscover that part of me again after so long because I took about a year's break between my last relationship and this one. So it's been really nice to rediscover that again. Yeah. My beautiful mamas. I, I love those two people so much. With all my heart. I, oh goodness me, I'd be coming up on six maybe seven I think it's six years maybe seven of knowing those two and they are they would call themselves elders but like they would also say we're not elders what are you talking about but yeah they've just been an older lesbian couple that have pretty much adopted me in every sense of the word except the legal one and they're they're just my mamas and they've been such a great support they're always there for me no matter what and they've been there for me through some pretty hard times and there've been there've definitely been some points there where I probably owe them my life um, because they've talked me back from the brink. Yeah, I've got a lot of chosen family now because my families that I was born into and, and raised by um, haven't necessarily been the greatest relationships for me. It's more been the people that I've chosen. Will I always be grateful for my genetic family and my foster family? Yeah, because there's a lot of things that I got that I wouldn't have gotten if I didn't have my foster family, you know, paying paying medical bills and putting me through high school and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm grateful for that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not a bad thing to cut toxic people from your life. And there'd be people who say that I'm that person for them and they've cut me from their life. I can't blame them for that. And no one can blame me for cutting my toxic family either. It's been hard, I'm not going to lie, but definitely chosen family's been so worth it. Yeah, they're great. I don't know where I'd be without my mamas and without my best friend in the whole world who I see as my sister they're going through some hard times right now but they're still there for me and that means more to me than anything in the world um my my best friend likes to tell the story by saying that I fell for her and I literally did it it wasn't like it wasn't like a um romantic sense it was a literal fall (laughs) she actually bumped into me in a club one night and I fell over and the rest of it was history. We were just best friends from that moment on, I reckon. She looked me up on Facebook and bought me a drink at the next night out that we were both at together. And she's been my, my best friend and my sister ever since. And her kids are now my nieces and nephews. And it's been a relationship that's evolved over time, definitely, and had its ebbs and flows, purely on my end, not on hers, but definitely one that I couldn't possibly live without. Yeah, she's been a great support. I have a tendency to be a bit of a gypsy, I guess. And I think that probably comes with the foster care mindset. And, you know, just I've never really felt comfortable in one place. So I've always kind of just moved around. Less so in the last few years, but still enough and still probably more than a person should. But I've, I've lived now in um, Stall, Ararat, Geelong, Ballarat, Dalesford, Creswick, Bendigo. Uh, and I honestly, I really like 
being able to get that sort of half city, half country feel. So I think that's why Ballarat and Bendigo have been so good to me. But I also really loved Dalesford in the sense that it was that sleepy little country town that still kind of had that little spark every now and again. And it was great. It just was so healing coming around that bend from Ballarat into Dalesford of a night time after I finished work. It was always something that I was really happy to see and was sad to leave that, but I had to leave that part of my story behind. There was a few ghosts that, you know, would follow me in that place after um, my relationship ended. So, yeah, Bendigo sort of became the next logical step, not not because I wanted to move to Bendigo, but because the universe was telling me that I had to. I ended up with a job in Bendigo and a house in Bendigo at the same time as looking for a job and a house in Ballarat and that just didn't eventuate so Bendigo here I am and um, kind of hoping to to get into the community a bit more again now. I've had I've had a good break and I'm um, yeah ready to get into it again. Kind of hoping to be able to do more of that with REAC as well and bring that intersectional lens into REAC. I'm working as the the volunteer and strengthening parents support program coordinator I just had to be sure that I got that name right um, which I did so that's good I'm really hoping that we can bring that intersectional lens into that REAC actually sponsored out in the open festival this year with a bit of a donation so that was nice um, hoping to have a bit more physical involvement in that and Bendigo Pride and potentially Mildura as well, because we also service up that way too. So it could be a very interesting adventure for REAC in that in that sense in the next little while. So that'll be nice. It's been a heck of an adventure, honestly, my entire life. I've lived more lifetimes in my 33 years than most people probably do in their, well, in their whole lives, really. Yeah, my life's been pretty crazy. But you take what you get and... You build the resilience and hope for the best, really. That's all you can do. <laughs> I think that my, my number one piece of advice would have to be embrace that community. It doesn't matter which one you are. It doesn't matter whether you're LGBTQIA+. plus. doesn't matter whether you're disabled. doesn't matter whether you're a woman, whatever. Even if you're a, a straight cis woman who's never seen anything about any other community ever and, you know, stumbles across this podcast as part of work or something it's just embrace it embrace it because there's nothing wrong with any of us and there's no reason that we should be scared to be different and you know actually embracing that community and becoming part of it just opens up so many doors and opens up so many possibilities that you wouldn't even dream of unless you'd met the people who are part of that community there's so much in my life now that just would never have happened if it wasn't for that it just sort of snowballed and became this life of big, beautiful, rainbow, messed up, I don't know what kind of crazy, but it's just been amazing every step of it. And I wouldn't wouldn't take back any of it, even the negative stuff. I wouldn't take it back because it's, you know, it's just made me who I am and made my life what it is. And I'm so grateful for that. project was made possible with the financial assistance of Victoria's Pride Regional Activation Program and Midsummer Festival 
and with the support of the Mount Alexander Shire Council, the Mount Alexander Shire LGBTIQA Plus Steering Group and the Queer and Now radio program on Main FM 94.9. This podcast has been produced by the Queer and Now team, Shireen Clone and Amalia O'Hara at Main FM 94.9. Editing and original music by Amy Chapman. A big thank you to all participants for sharing their stories with such a wonderful generosity of spirit. If anything within this episode has been upsetting for you, please reach out and call the dedicated LGBTIQA plus helpline switchboard on 1800 184 527 or Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800.